0: so much for uh, showing up for today's episode of MicroConf On Air. As always, I'm your host, Rob Walling. That video that was playing with no sound uh, was actually, it was about a 90-second um, announcement video for the MicroConf Video Vault that we've launched today on YouTube. And if you head over to youtube.com slash microconf, you will see 170 hours of videos taken over about uh, just under 10 years of microcomfs and it's 194 talks, I believe, um, from attendees and from folks, you know, I have six, seven of those myself, maybe even eight, Jason Cohen, um, Joanna Weeb, Heaton Shaw, Steli Efti, you know, a lot of the household names that you've come to know and love. And we have talks dating back to 2012 um, and running all the way up until MicroConf Europe here just a few months back, about six months ago. Feels like a year ago, but it was just a few months ago. So um, You should check that out if you haven't already. Um, we'll be uploading new stuff periodically to that. Obviously, MicroConf on Air gets uploaded there, but in the future, you know, as we run events, um, assuming we're able to run in-person events again, uh, at, at some point, uh, we'll be uploading those videos. So give it a look. You may have received an email as well if you are uh, part of the MicroConf email list. So MicroConf on Air, twice a week, we live stream for about 30 minutes and we cover topics related to building and growing startups that are ambitious and fit but fit within the goals of being a reasonable human being and having a reasonable life. And today um, I'm going to be welcomed in just a moment by ADP and R. But first, I want to let you know if you have any questions for me or AD, you can go into micro, you can go to microconfconnect.com and apply to be part of our founder and aspiring founder Slack channel. And we have, I believe, more than a thousand people now, and some really good conversations going on. It's heavily moderated, and it's a really good group of people. Um, so if you've attended microconf's or you're you're you know even if you haven't, frankly, um, you should come check it out and just you know kind of uh, commiserate with other founders. The microconf on air podcast is live and all the podcatchers, you can search for microconf on air anywhere and you will see these, what we're going to do for now is put these episodes of the audio of these episodes uh, in the feed. And um, as we go on, obviously we'll have more, you know, audio content at some point of varying degrees. As always, thanks to Basecamp and Stripe, our headline partners for the year. Um, it is great having them on board and all, it just makes all of this easy and all of this more possible. So today, I'm going to welcome my guest, Adi PNR. He is the co- he was the co-founder of WooThemes, later became WooCommerce and sold to Automatic. And he started Conversio, which was email marketing for e-commerce stores. And he sold it to Campaign Monitor uh, about six-ish months ago. He actually came on Startups with the Rest of Us, and we had a really good talk about that, if you want to um, hear more about it. And Adi and I are going to dig into Something he has, he has a lot of thoughts about Um, cost cutting layoffs, how to plan for economic downturns, that kind of stuff. So 80. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Rob. And um, just a note about the vault. I got the e- email yesterday about the vault. Um, there's actually a talk yep. of mine, Boot Theme's Days, like blast Sweet. to the past back in 2012, um, which is still one of the most memorable events. And in terms of networking, many of the relationships I made there, like is st- still friends to this day, um, and have played a significant role in my life. So anyone else out there, go check out 80 you know, back in 2012 um, for you know, kind of uh, some historic fun.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks. And that's a that was a good talk. Uh, I remember back in the day. That's the first time we met in person. Uh, it's fun. Yeah. Like Microsoft brings us together, you know. So yeah, let's totally. let's dive in here. Um, you, you sent a tweet out. Um, I don't know if Xander can bring it up in the on screen, but if not, I'll just I'll read it. You sent a tweet out. Let's see. It was April fifteenth. So it was, it was about six days ago, and you were talking about Carta. Ah, uh, which used to be known as eShares, and they have raised a total of like four hundred fifty million dollars over the course of eight years. But they are—they um, did a big layoff, right? They laid off about sixteen percent of uh, their employee base, and their it—it it just got a conversation going, you know. And a lot of people are thinking about this this topic, right? Of sh- should you do layoffs? How do layoffs work? When do when do they work? Um, how should we be treating folks during this time? So I'm I'm curious. To kick us off, like to hear more of your thoughts, you know, your thinking behind uh, that idea of cost cutting and layoffs during a downturn like this.
1: Yeah, um, I think the, Rob, the context here with with Carta and for kind of people, what initially kind of triggered me um, beyond the the kind of the real human aspect of this year, which I think is the more important than kind of your know, broad um, your perspective. But what what triggered me with, with Carta here was that this was a a growing Company um, doing really well that raised about 300 million dollars 12 months ago, um, and is supposedly just kind of you know, you know, uh, kind of you know, crossing T's and dotting I's on, on a new 200 million dollar deal, and that struck me as 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 being, at least being kind of a little bit disconnected with the reality of then you know within kind of you know say three months right of the pandemic, um, and the economic downturn, having to lay off 16 percent of people, and. I think what that kind of the the reason why that triggered me was just this that 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 kind of notion of how shareholders in a business um, have very different um, needs and wants from that business compared to the actual people in the business, right? And I. I said I, I think I went through a whole range um, of th- different tweets on the matter, right? Ra- kind of ranging from like pure kind of outrage um, to eventually kind of you know toning it down a little because ultimately I am kind of you know I am that you know armchair critic here. I'm the kind of you know quarterback on the on the couch. I, I do not have all the information, and I think any kind of layoff here is um, you know having to lay off people is always very very hard. Um, I did the same thing as for you know, for context here. Um, in about 2017, end of 2017, um, we laid off two people on a small team, we were 13 or 14 people at that stage, right, which probably equates to that same kind of, you know, about 15, 16%, what what is the amount, right? And um, the reason we did that was I had made a mistake. As a CEO, I had mischarted the company um, financially, um, and it left us, I think, the kind of in November 2017, our bank balance balance at the end of the month was less than $10,000. And our overheads um, were beyond $100,000 at that stage. And I couldn't pay myself that month, right? So I've been on that side as well. Um, So there's parts of me that understand this, but I also know that kind of since that point, like the, the kind of the two years after that leading up to our acquisition last year, I changed many things with regards to the business and how kind of we ran the business to make sure that that would never happen again. Neither to me, because I think as, you know, as a CEO, founder, as a shoulder, you know, leader in the business, I think that experience sucks. Obviously, kind of, it sucks even more for, you know, the person actually being laid off and, you know, having their whole life, you know, livelihood and lives basically disrupted due to that kind of decision that is beyond their control.
0: Yeah, I feel like as founder CEO, um, there are kind of two views that I've heard on this. And one is I never wanna do layoffs. I just never wanna to have to be in that position. And there are other founder CEOs who view it as it is a it is just a course of doing business. Like we are gonna grow and every X amount of years, whether it's a downturn or whether it's you know another reason that we are gonna to have to do layoffs um, every so often. Have you encountered that as well? in, you know, talking to CEOs or do you hang out more with the people like us? Cause you and I are in the same camp. I don't ever wanna have to do layoffs, right?
1: Yeah. Um- I think, um, so, so I have actually not been around that many people that have had to do forced layoffs, right? I mean, and, and this isn't, I think the kind of just getting the verbiage right and kind of right here. Like, you know, a, a layoff is, um, I think locally in South Africa, we call it retrenchment, right? Or retrenching someone, right? So it's it's not the same as firing someone for underperforming or not like, like that, right? It's essentially a, a kind of a, a legal container for you to kind of, get rid of people in the business because you need to kind of free up kind of your cash flow and expenditure, right? So, um, and most of those thus are forced, right? There's very specific rules like, you know, and and regulation around what you are and aren't allowed to do with those things. So I, I actually haven't been around many people that have done that. What is interesting is it seems though layoffs are a very, very big thing in mainstream tech media. Right, like yeah. we see the, and and then you ask yourself, like, what are the kinds of companies that generally get covered in mainstream tech media, and why are they laying off people?
0: Yeah, that's it is really it's shockingly common, especially with in in, in Silicon Valley and with big venture-funded companies. Um, I was surprised. I'm not sure that all the layoffs that I've heard about have been covered by mainstream tech. And when when a company raises 10, 20, 30 million um you know it can't be surprising which i think is what you were talking about with with the carter thing whenever i hear of a big layoff of a company that i have inside info on and i know they still have a bunch of money in the bank i'm always like what is, is was this a mistake is this a are they just calling the bottom 10% of the company and saying well these folks were underperforming or did they make a bad strategic decision you know and i think the case we're in today is more of an economic <laughs> potential the potential of a real economic downturn and i think that's something that that more companies should prepare for. I I have, it's a bit of a knit with me when someone who hasn't run a business through uh, like a downturn like this, because it's been, what, 11 years (laughs) since our last. So there's people, you know, there are financial advisors who are like in their mid thirties advising people who have never dealt with a bear market. That's crazy, right? And same thing, there are startup founders who who were 12 years old or 15 years old during the last crisis. And it's just such a different, it's such a different paradigm. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts like, how can you plan you know as a founder as a business owner what are some ways that you can plan for this type of economic downturn um for you know assuming that we don't know if our current downturn is going to send us into a global recession um it's very likely to but we don't know how long that will last right because we don't know if it's going to snap back when everyone comes back to work so how are you thinking about this and what advice would you have for founders
1: yeah, and you know, Rob, I think because um, I, I think that perspective is great, right? In terms of saying like many, many, you know, current day founders, entrepreneurs, they they've never experienced this, right? So this is a new thing for many people. Um, I mean, even like and to get off my own high horse here, I mean, Wu Themes was founded two thousand seven, just as we're getting out of kind or of starting the recession, right? Um, back then, luckily, kind of Wu Themes rode a wave, to that. I I would say somewhat benefited from the recession, right? Because we were democratizing something that was much more expensive back then. So even for me, these are interesting times. I think if I didn't have that artificial, more specific event within conversion where I had to lay off people and you tweak the business, I probably also would not have much kind of perspective and experience um, about this. But I think to that point is I I tend to agree, hopefully touch where we never have a pandemic of this kind ever again, right. Um, But I think the the, the way I've been thinking about this is, there's ultimately, one needs to consider that there might be macro kind of things happening. In the world around your business, things that you don't have control over, things you can't anticipate, and really thinking about what what resiliency looks like, uh, you know, for a business to kind of navigate those times as best possible, right? And I think. Um, The the way I like to think about that is, um, you know, the concept of elasticity, right? Um, So we mostly understand elasticity in the context, economic context of price elasticity, for example, but really kind of thinking about what expansion and contraction looks like, what kind of slowing down and speeding up looks like, and how you can like almost constantly do that, right? So, um, and for me, that comes down to two things. Um, I think it comes down to uh, kind of, is saving money and trying to save money every single month in a business, trying to not run one's business at the kind of that very, very tight margin that when things change, um, you, you suddenly have to kind of take big decisions, like laying off 16% of people. So I think, like, really making sure that there is margin left, and you save that money. And then the second part is for me is around diversification. And again, like, neither of these, these two things are, uh, you know, concepts that I think entrepreneurs are, you know, kind of estranged to, but really diversification in terms of what do I do as a founder for my personal kind of financial situation right so can i diversify some of the this financial success that i have in the business and not have everything tied up there and the and the reason i think that is important is that if if i know that my personal financial situation is secure at least i'm also less likely to take radical kind of you know kind of almost impulsive you know big actions when of a, a difficult you know, kind of situation it's right so so that the diversification but then i think there's also that diversification for one's team like right? where there is a way to help one's team um, diversify in other ways whether it's financially and you help them kind of you pay out bonuses if you can do that and you kind of coach them through what that diversification looks like um, but really kind of making that just that's you're know, helping them be slightly more um kind of diversified and thus Kind of resilient in their personal capacities, um, I, I think that's important. And I said it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. It could be it could be skills, right? It could be other things that you help them accumulate in the good times. You know, in in, in your bull markets, um, that they then apply when kind of you know uh, things are, are much tougher.
0: Yeah, a couple thoughts on that. I want to add um, one thing. You know, you talked about having cash in the bank and running a little, little more conservative, perhaps than than pedal to the metal. Um, there's been a lot of criticism of these public companies, a lot of airlines, and you know the Fortune 1000, in general, running so close to the margin that they're doing the the. the the CEO's bonus is based on earnings per share, typically, and so th- they make a bunch of money one year. And instead of putting some in the bank, they buy back shares of their own stock, which reduces the number of shares, which increases their earnings per share. And so they have no cash in the bank, right? Or n- none is an exaggeration, but they have way, way less than they would need if you're running a real business. If you actually weren't, if you actually weren't too big to fail, you know. And banks do this, and and you know, airlines do this, and. Uh, certainly travel companies do this. I mean, all the things that will likely get bailed out, you know, from, uh, from the government, they do that. And that's not something that we can, a, I don't think that's right because they've basically taken a bunch of money off the table, kind of artificial, you know, there's some financial engineering there. And then the government, meaning the taxpayers kind of get stuck with the bill, but B we as, as SaaS founders, as small company founders, like we, we don't have the luxury of doing that. So I always kept a pretty heavy. store of of cash in, in the bank account. and I was nervous when it went below a certain number, depending on what our monthly burn was. I was always mentally in the back of my mind thinking, if we if we hit a recession right now, what does this look like? How long can we last? And that's not a great it's not a great feeling to run a business like that long term, but I do feel like it it kept me being pretty realistic, you know. So the second thing I want to throw in is I interviewed the founders of Feedback Panda. On uh, startups to the rest of us a couple weeks ago, and one thing that they said is they were just kind of terrified the whole time that that this business, it's to to your point that they weren't diversified, and they had this asset worth presumably you know a million, two million bucks, but they had no liquidity. And if it went under, if a recession happened, if they get what you know whatever it goes down for a week, if they get hacked, if a competitor comes up, there's all these things that can happen to where suddenly this thing you've worked so hard for goes away. And I, I I do like that founders are now having some more options with this um, in terms of like, there's some op- opportunities to sell minority stakes of your business, right? Non-controlling interest. I would have loved if that was an option. I don't know if I would have done it back in the drip days, but it's cool to not have to sell your whole company to get cash out of it. You know, you and I have both have had life-changing exits, and I don't think either of us really regret those. But now that we have cash in the bank, like I tell you what, if I started another startup, I would be in a completely different, mindset. I would not be like running for my life the entire time for years looking over my shoulder. And, and you're nodding, like you felt that way too, right? I, I think yeah. we've talked about this. Yeah. And until yeah. you have that, that diversification where you can just take that deep breath, it, it's scary. Yeah.
1: And, and and I think that's the thing, right? I think, you know, for me, that is um, and this can sound contradictory, but I think there's a bit of a detachment that we as entrepreneurs should do from our businesses. I don't think we are our businesses, firstly, right? And to that extent, again, that supports the notion that we should diversify, right? But the other part of this is that we are still the leaders of this ship, right? And if, if, if we're constantly stressed as individuals, like we're probably kind of you know performing on a subpar level, right? We're probably not at peak performance, and. I think diversification is that like if you can do that over time and I don't think it's something that you can do like you don't make this you don't listen to kind of us speak about this now and tomorrow you start diversifying right I think it is a gradual thing that you do over time um but by doing that I think you create that space in your life in your kind of emotional and mental well-being which theoretically allows you to then we'll either just take that space and apply it elsewhere in your life, right? Or be a better entrepreneur and leader in your business. And I think that's that 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 should be really okay. Like we should not, um, you know, we should not be that attached to the business where like literally kind of all our eggs in one basket. And I think crucially, and like part of this, um, you know, and, and and again coming back to kind of the the people cost in terms of layoffs, right? If if I can self-regulate if I can take care of my kind of my well being as a as the leader of this team, then I can probably steer this business for as long as I possibly can, which then has that positive effect for my team, right? It prevents me from having to lay off people, right? Or it prevents me from having to declare bankruptcy, right? And just kind of shutting off that income for the whole team, right? And I, again, I, I don't want to be glib, I understand that things happen in business that are sometimes unavoidable, and you know, those things are unintentional consequence of those things. I, but it is ultimately a risk-based kind of you know calculation of odds here, which again is if I take care of myself. In theory, the odds of us surviving, kind of, and navigating, you know, kind of difficult situations, of economic downturn, is just more.
0: Right, right. Because when you're calm and you feel relaxed or at least confident in the future and what you have going, even if it's kind of, you know, the world is kind of going into crisis around you, you have that ability to have a calm head, a clear head, and and help your team get through that too, because they're going to feel the opposite potentially they have less control and you know they're going to be stressed out by it so uh, i believe that wholeheartedly i'm curious um how do you think this is different like what we're talking about is like build a margin you know don't run things right to the edge be prepared how do you think this is different for bootstrapped versus uh you know or, or <laughs> non-venture tracks been a term i've been using so bootstrapped, kind of self-funded folks or versus the venture funded folks
1: yeah so I think if we consider the latter first right so if you take any kind of external um, capital into a business and and I think I like the, the, the that notion of external because you normally have like those shoulders are have this different consideration to you as a founder or the people actually working in the business right um, versus these kind of external people that literally only have equity on the books and I think the 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 key thing there is they they only have uh, Simplifying, right? This might be slightly different for different kinds of investors, right? But they mostly kind of their primary need and want for you know, kind of in, in, in that transaction is around maximizing shelter value, right? And like again, like all of us, anyone that's invested in anything, whether it's you know in, in kind of in the markets and other companies, cetera, like that's what we want, right? We want a, a reasonable and hopefully a great return on that investment, right? And that's maximizing shareholder value. But I think what that does is if that becomes the exclusive kind of north star for a business, it, it it could pull a bunch of other things out of proportion as well, right? And I think what we often see in especially growing kind of software and tech companies that um, have cheap access to capital, they keep growing, right? And they like, I think there's fundamental things that get out of whack there, or could like I think that's a risk, right? Whereas I think with with bootstrapped kind of founders, um, I think i would I would imagine that for most entrepreneurs, they have a version of I am starting this business because of a freedom. I'm pursuing a freedom, whether it's the freedom to choose on what I work, whether it's the freedom to choose when and how I work, um, whether it's just kind of you know getting away from the man, but there's some freedom involved in that, and I think the perspective there is thus very different. it's not just about kind of trying to maximize share all the value, but it's trying to to really. Make kind of use of this freedom that that I'm trying to cultivate, right? Um, And ensuring that that freedom stays in place forever, that I don't suddenly have to kind of, you know, kind of have to close my business down over here and then have to kind of go back to, you know, being employed, for example, and then losing some of those freedoms that I try to create. And I think that already takes a bit more of a holistic approach where, like, I, I want this thing. To survive as well, it's not—it's not just about trying to maximize shareholder value. I want to maintain this um, for for much longer.
0: Yep, yep. And you know what I've noticed because I've now been exposed to and worked inside uh, a venture-funded company. Um, I lead pages that acquired us. Um, I've obviously worked in and started a lot of bootstrap companies, and am exposed to a lot of kind of the in betweens that you know that. The non-venture track, where it's like they raise just a single angel round and they want to get to profitability, or they raise from you know a tiny seed or an indie and it's not the same trajectory and it's not the same winner-take-all. And at least I have a limited sample size in the VC internal, where you know being internal, but it was definitely um, funding and investors, you know. It, it it pretty easy for it to become your north star because they essentially the board can fire the CEO, so the CEO knows you know and it, it, it really does become that and I I'm guessing I know that it's not that in all cases like I know that Kickstarter for example took a bunch of funding but they really had they're more of a almost a B Corp type thing a beneficial Corp and they listen to their employees and they have you know they, there's a bunch of stuff going on there so I think there are exceptions but I do think as a rule if once you step on the venture track I think in general, the the investors become a really major stakeholder. Versus people who raise angel rounds, people who bootstrap, people who raise this kind of independent funding, the tiny seed type stuff. It's they still raise funding, but it's such a different. Their north star can still be building the company that they want to build, you know. Yeah. And that's has that been your experience as well? I mean, in, in talking to other founders.
1: Yeah, definitely right. And I think like that's because because I think when when the focus is, is on this freedom, instead of just that kind of, uh, you know, uh, maximizing my shareholder value, right? Um, again, I, I just think it's a, there's a more there's a wholesomeness to it. There's like there's a holistic view to it um, that I don't think you necessarily get when there's literally kind of differing needs, right? And, and, and I, that makes sense as well, right? Like you would expect. Again, you know, a, a kind of if I was a minority shareholder, even if I was the kind of founder in a business. Like the, the the class of kind of shelters that owns the other ninety five percent, they want to return on this money. They they don't really care about my freedoms, right? So I, that gets totally out of whack. Um as you were saying speaking there though, Rob, like the thing that I think is interesting again here, like across those two um kind of different kinds of businesses, Bootstrap versus venture track kind of you know, track or non venture track. Um or venture track, the okay, back, you know, I think when, and again, using the CARTA example here is, what, what kicked us off is that the CEO put, kind of published the memo and the speech he gave to his team in terms of announcing the layoffs and this is what is happening. And I already take, like, I think that's part of the problem here because he didn't share any of the context around this. And oftentimes we look at these kind of really big supposedly successful companies and... and I mean, successful companies, and they publish all of their milestones. They publish their funding, kind of you know, milestones, right? But they never publish all the context. Whereas, bootstrap is very different. Like, I think Microconf being, you know, kind of what, probably the best example of such a community where there's a lot of sharing of information, right? Where like, we might not share all the context, but there's a lot more context around kind of why, you know, why I made the decisions in my business, you know, that, that I did, right. And I think that context ultimately helps. And the the kind of the segue there, and back to kind of linking it back to that kind of North Star is, I think that context is important, right? Because we don't know, we just and, and that's where I think, the perception is there, that investors start if kind of funding becomes your your North Star, we're probably we, we are expecting that there's investors in those kind of meetings, that is literally saying, you know, well, uh, lay off the people. Like if that maximize shareholder lay off the people kind of thing, right? But we also don't know that because it doesn't get shared. But yet, anyway know, that, that whole perception has kind of is, I think is, is skewed because it is a bit of a black box, unfortunately,
0: right? Right. And when it comes out bad news like this, and then you see their glass door just get blown up by all the people who yeah. get laid off and you know they get bad reputation. Yeah. Well, sir, I feel like we could talk about this for hours, uh, but we are coming up on time. So I, I just want to thank you very much for coming on on air. If folks want to keep up with you, your Twitter handle is there on screen. It's eighty eighty I, I, and you blog every now and again, write essays at 80.me. Thank you so much, sir.
1: Awesome. Thanks for awesome. having me, Rob.
0: And producer Xander, I think, has worked out the audio snafu we had at the beginning. So as he takes us out here, we're going to try to roll that, uh, the MicroConf Video Vault announcement again. Hopefully the audio works this time. And I will see you same time, same place here on Thursday. Hi, I'm Rob Walling. I'm the co-founder of MicroConf. I wanted to let you know that we've launched our video vault of over 190 talks from 11 conferences at youtube.com slash microconf. With more than 175 hours of actionable advice and inspiring stories from founders who have built their companies from the ground up, we've amassed one of the largest video libraries available for ambitious, self-funded, and indie-funded founders like yourself. From our top-rated talk of all time, Designing the Ideal Bootstrapped Business by WP Engine founder, Jason Cohen.
1: And not everyone's making a bunch of money, but actually a lot of people are making
0: enough money. To more than 70 short-form talks delivered by Microconf attendees. There's nearly a decade of videos waiting to answer almost every conceivable question about building, launching, and growing your startup. We're going to be curating more videos for you, whether it be through our playlists like the Serial Speaker Series, featuring our most frequent main stage speakers, A newly curated 10 video series called Building Your First SaaS, The Ultimate Crash Course, and other experimental formats will be launching in the coming months. And from here on out, all of the talks recorded at our conferences, remote events, meetups, and so on will be uploaded here for free for anyone that's looking to learn more about launching and growing a successful startup. My hope is that the Microcom Video Vault is a top resource for you and your team to reference for years to come. If you haven't already, please give this video a thumbs up and click the subscribe button below to get updates on new videos and live-streamed events we're hosting in this channel. I hope you enjoy it.